Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. It's been a, a real privilege to be with you. We've been in Romans. You've been so kind about this tour. You know it's the high points of Romans. It's over the top. It's not line by line, of course, and I'm saying all this for those of you who might be relatively new to this moment on Sunday morning. Uh, we started maybe three or four months ago in Romans, and we've progressed all the way through the 12th chapter. Chapters 8, chapters 12 being really the signature chapters that most people know that really identify these major theological concepts that rise to the surface out of the book of Romans. The quick quick, quick overview today is Romans 1 tells us we're without excuse, we're all sinners. That continues to unpack about both Gentiles and Jews alike. Uh, God's righteousness, Romans, the third chapter, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but God has provided a righteousness through the sacrifice of Christ. The Bible goes on in Romans to tell us that in while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. Romans 8 says there's therefore now if you're in Christ no condemnation for you if you're in Christ today. Also God says whatever happens in this world broken fallen world with broken fallen people he'll do all things together for the good of those who love him. So even though bad stuff happens and life is hard and we live in a broken fallen tent Paul says a tent that's going to break down, all things work together for good to those who love him. Also, Romans 8 says, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The scripture continues, and by the time we got to Romans 12 last week, we saw that the only reasonable or spiritual act of service in response to who God is is to present our bodies daily as living sacrifices. And if we remember the audience at the church, the gathered ones who are the body of Christ in Rome, there were Jews and Gentiles. And this concept for the pagan religions, little g, little gods, would have been sacrifices trying to appease the gods. But for those who followed Jehovah God, God's covenant people, sacrifices were a faith expression to God to say we are sacrificing so that you hear and see our heart. It was a demonstration of giving oneself in worship and allegiance to God. Living sacrifices is what we're called to be. This morning I'm going to do the amazing and the ridiculous I'm going to finish the book of Romans. This is humanly impossible. So we're going to trust God that, we, that in this run-up to this day that we can elevate and honor God's word, honor him, and hit some high points in this letter to the church at Rome. If you have a Bible open or if you received an outline coming in, you don't see blanks there. What you see is uh, the points as we come out of Romans 13 through Romans 16. Romans 13, the context here, Paul has said to believers, we're to give our lives every day, living sacrifices. Romans 13, he's writing to the church at Rome, and remember, they're not in a democracy. 
they're not really in a benevolent dictatorship. They're a part of the Roman Empire. And there's absolute sovereign rulership over that empire by those who were in the highest positions in Rome. And that sovereignty and those relationships of submission could be very, very, very difficult. Now, if we look at church history and we look at Western civilization history, there were going to be periods of significant persecution. There were going to be periods where uh, by decree, Christianity would become the state religion. But in these seasons, Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, writes, Romans 13, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Let me back up and read that because that's, a, that's an interesting God-given twist to this. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. A couple of thoughts here. First of all, this, I believe, as we look back in history and the testimony of the church, was God's letter through Paul to the church at Rome to say, don't be guilty of insurrection, don't be guilty of trying to undermine the government, but live with a higher law and a higher purpose, and he's about to speak to that. So this is not about political overthrow, it's not a political action, it is an action of love that he's about to describe. But there are some principles here that have played out as I've looked at responsibility in the broken world we live in. There were several years that I had the privilege, it really was a privilege, to speak over certain holidays in my 10 years at Broadmoor Baptist. My father, as I mentioned once before, was an Air Force colonel retiring, but was a B-24 navigator in World War II. And that sort of set me up coming out of a military family without military service of my own to talk about Memorial Day or Veterans Day. And I really enjoyed doing that. There was the question of, is there a role in government for the military? Is there a role for military action? And the reality of these passages is that there is under the responsibility of government follow this, there is a responsibility to bring terror to the wrongdoer. The sword is not removed. The sword is part of God's sovereign plan, and I say it this way, as some scholars do, to restrain evil in this broken and fallen world. Paul's writing the church at Rome, and he's saying, don't be insurrectionist. This is not a political takeover. This really is, and I know how 60s 
1960s, this sound to some of us of a certain age, but it really is a gathering in an army of love. Do the right thing. Live within the rules so that your testimony can be winsome. Now, if you don't use the word winsome, it's not a popular word in our culture. Winsome is that that characteristic of our life and our attitude and our service and our relationships that people find compelling about us. It is a graciousness. It is a foundation of joy in our life. We're winsome when we're not shaking our fist, but we're serving with open hands. Paul continues and he says in the 13th chapter a little later, he says, and I'm going to back up to verse 8. Your outline says 9. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Verse 9, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up with this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Sounds kind of pie in the sky. We live in a complicated world. And we want to speak truth and grace. I'm on board if you want to speak about the sanctity of life. I'm on board if you want to speak against decisions made by a democratic republic, elected government. And we want to love people well by voicing our concerns and speaking the truth. I'm on board with all of that. But at the end of the day, the motivation for all of that is love. It's not judgment. It's not better than. It's not self-righteousness or denominational self-righteousness. It is the law of love. I'll give you an illustration. And this is, we're just about to talk about judgment and weaker and stronger brothers and some of that. So don't get beyond me too quickly, but just the very, very quick illustration is when gambling came to Mississippi, you know, there was a lot of selling the gaming industry for what it would do for us. And some of those dollars have come back into places and there's been some revitalization in some areas, to be fair. There's some commerce that has worked there for sure. But I often tell my friends, see those big casinos? They don't build those casinos by giving their money away. Somebody takes their money and it ends up in those coffers, not yours by chance, by gambling. Now, today is not about gambling, but I want you to hear this. It would be easy and less than fruitful to say, okay, Christians don't, and then make a list. Drink, dance, chew, gamble, depending on your list, play cards, go to movies. How many of you grew up by chance, in a church or in a home 
where going to movies was suspect. Anybody in here of that age? Thank you. Do I see another hand? Thank you. Thank you. Is there another? I feel like the evangelist. I feel like Billy Graham for just a moment. How many of you grew up in a home where dancing was not allowed? Can I see your hands? Dancing was allowed in my home. It just, it just didn't go well. I mean, to tell you the truth. You can have a list of don'ts and be very judgmental about it. But the rule is that we do what we do and we express what we express out of love. If your issue was gambling 40 years ago, the conversation should have been about loving those who couldn't afford to do that or would be sucked into that kind of pattern in their life. Bottom of the commercial, if you have a problem with gambling, call. You know why that is? Because lots of people have a problem with that. It is another vice we don't need, I believe, out of a heart of love, not out of a heart with a list of things that we shouldn't be doing. It's a heart of love. And Paul's saying we ought to love one another as we would be loved. There are disputable matters, and gambling may be one of those, or going to the casino might be one of those, or do I support gambling if I go to a concert at the casino or if I eat lunch at the casino? I don't know. That's what Romans 14 says. I don't know. I can't read the whole chapter this morning. Except him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Paul is calling out vegetarians right here. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not eat. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And you're a servant of of God is the context here. To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So that whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. This passage continues, and a little later, verse 13 says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. In your outline that you picked up today on the way in, I put four words, eating, drinking, judging, and stumbling. And the illustration here was, and it's it's woven through part of the New Testament, there were issues of eating Meat that had been sacrificed to idols, you know, what are you going to do with that? Well, I can't touch it, it's unclean. Or there were the days where uh, in, the, in the early days, think Simon Peter, think Paul here, there was a freedom now to eat things that would have been considered uh, ceremonially unclean types of food. I, I love bacon. There it is. I can preach the gospel, you sound asleep. I love bacon. I got amens. I love that. I just know, hello, Brookhaven. We love bacon. Man, I do. I love bacon. I mean, bacon, bacon, everything's better with bacon. 
By the way, bacon ain't great for you, but I love bacon. So you can become judgmental about bacon. Bacon's not great for the body. And now they've got all those nitrates in it. And it comes from pork. And God's covenant people were afraid of pigs. We don't do it. Listen, you can get into that. Paul's writing and he's saying, cut out the judgment. Everybody relax. It's, it's all okay as long as it aligns with the greatest commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's about love because love is the fulfillment of the law. Stumbling block. Hey, people, lean in and listen to this. Paul speaks in another place, of course, about the weaker brother and through this chapter 14 about the stronger and the weaker brother. And there are people who constantly take the role of being the weaker brother. They want to shut you down because you're playing cards. Well, we wouldn't want to play cards because somebody might stumble. Or somebody's going to catch you. I've got to be really careful here. Doing something somewhere that's in the disputable matters list. And they're going to say, you shouldn't do that. Years ago, I heard a really wise president of a seminary say, there are weaker brothers, and we ought to take care not to cause weaker brothers to stumble. And then hold on to this. Then there are professional weaker brothers. Those are the people who are always looking for something to judge you about by using the weaker brother argument professional, weaker brothers. We're judging people all the time. We feel like that's our responsibility. The passage continues, or or Romans continues, Romans 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance, the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We are to bear with the realities and the failings of the weak. Verses 5 and 6. This is really where we land today as we close. Paul's writing and he says, May the God who gives endurance... And encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally jumping to number six on your outline. This is a caution. It's found in verse 17 through 19. These three verses. Chapter 16. I urge you East Haven. To watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience. So I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. In the end of this, this long letter to the church that's gathered in Rome, 
this affirmation and this caution, this blessing and this word of warning can speak to us today. Again, in verse 5 of chapter 15, this blessing over you today. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for you, that you would have the kind of unity that people would see the way that you love and serve, see others as more important than yourselves, and tell the story of the transforming power of Christ in your life in such a way that thousands would come to Christ in the ripple effect of the work of the Spirit. It's a team effort. It's a family function. It is the body of Christ working with all members to be obedient to Jesus. And out of love, as I've said in multiple ways over the last four months, if you're not using your gifts, if you've not fully engaged, you're losing out. You're losing out. Engage. Step up. Be obedient to the gospel. Communicate the truth of the gospel. Love people well. And especially love those within the body of Christ with a selfless, servant-hearted love. I love you. I'm so grateful for my time here. We offer an invitation at the end of every service. And the invitation, as I've said quite often, is for those who might trust Christ for the first time or those who, by God's leadership, want to come and be a part of this body, or those who would love to spend a moment with somebody praying for them and with them about concerns in their lives. If we can do any of that today, if the Lord's led you to give your life to Christ, or to come be a part of East Haven, or if we can pray together about something going on in your life, That would be my privilege. Phil will be here. Others will be available. We'd love to meet you at the front. Allow me to pray for us, and we will continue to worship as we offer this time of invitation. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your grace. We're thankful that you look at us, and you love us, and you love us just because you love us, not because we've somehow earned that just because we belong to you. God, I pray for those who may have the leading of your spirit to come and be a part of this church today. For anyone in this room who's not placed their faith in Christ, I pray this would be that moment. And for those who need to be seen and prayed for and encouraged, help us, Father, to be the body of Christ to pray for one another. We love you so much. We're so grateful for your grace to us. And we pray you would have your way in these moments. We pray this expectantly in Jesus' name. Let's stand together.